Hi, everyone, and welcome back for the 26th episode of Take It or Leave It, where we discuss the hottest topics in the world of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodations. I'm your host, Josh Seidman. When lawyers, HR, and benefits teams across the country hear about America's paid leave law landscape, some key words quickly come to mind. Messy, inconsistent, challenging, patchwork, so many laws. These are all correct. But that hasn't always been the case. Focusing specifically on paid sick leave laws, 10 years ago, the country's paid sick leave presence was sparse and a shell of what the space looks like today. Here at CIFARTH, our Leaves of Absence Management and Accommodations team has been actively and regularly tracking and reporting on paid sick leave law developments through various forums, such as legal updates, blog posts, webinars, in-person presentations, and even this podcast over the last 10 years. In terms of articles, 10 years ago to the day, on October 4th, 2013, CIFARTH began its dedicated paid sick leave law article series known as If Pain, Yes Gain. Of course, in 2013, I and our CIFARTH team had no sense of how widespread paid sick leave laws would become, let alone that they would be actively changing at a regular pace over 10 years, and that we would have kept our If Pain, Yes Gain series around through all those years. But I guess the journalist in me just couldn't let the series go. And here we are 10 years later with the series standing at more than 110 articles and is continuing to march forward. More and more paid sick leave law developments continue to take place across the country. In just the last handful of months, we have seen significant developments take place in Illinois, Minnesota, California, Oregon, Colorado, Connecticut, and New York City, just to name a few. To celebrate 10 years of CIFARTH's paid leave team plodding through the country's patchwork, October 2023 will feature the release of several new paid sick leave-focused materials for our clients and other interested parties. These will include a few top 10 articles, a webinar from some of our paid sick leave experts, and in-person breakfast briefings down the road. But to kick off the celebration, we are so delighted to bring you today's Take It or Leave It episode. And to take us through 10 years of paid sick leave law developments and challenges, I can think of no one better than Marlon Dura Martinez, one of my amazingly talented colleagues and a wonderful friend, to join me for today's Take It or Leave It episode. Marlon and I have been in the weeds together on paid leave laws since the days when independent local sick leave laws existed in the likes of Spokane, Washington, Eugene, Oregon, and Jersey City, New Jersey, since the days when only City of Los Angeles employers who were covered by a sick leave mandate were hotel employers, and since the days when New York City, ESTA, had just one S. Marlon is an attorney in CIFAR's Labor and Employment Department, based out of our New York office, and one of our core members of CIFAR's Leaves of Absence Management and Accommodations team. As I said earlier, she and I have been in the weeds together on paid leave laws for many years both having summered with the firm and tackling these laws together just as the landscape is really starting to take off. With the ever-changing leave law landscape, Marlin provides clients in virtually all industries with practical solutions to the paid leave law patchwork, and that is across all state and local jurisdictions. Among Marlin's many, many contributions to the firm, she co-founded CIFART's wonderful first-generation affinity group, In addition, Marlon is a lawyering and legal writing adjunct professor at Cardozo School of Law. And with that, Marlon, I'd like to give you an official welcome to Take It or Leave It. So happy to be here. Marlon, so as you know, and as many of our listeners have experienced firsthand, paid sick leave laws 
and their many shapes and sizes and substantive technical requirements are among the most complicated areas of employment law for multi-state and nationwide employers. Each law carries its own set of unique standards, often imposing somewhere in the range of 25 to 35 substantive criteria, many of which have nuances and sub-criteria, and that's all being dumped on covered employers. Managing just one of these paid sick leave laws or operating in just one state with a paid sick leave mandate is really hard, but things can get dicey when you start factoring in dozens of these laws and the federal, state, and local variations that they bring to the table. The constantly changing landscape of legal obligations as new laws are enacted and existing laws and rules and regulations and guidelines are amended or sunset or preempted. Complicated interplay with existing company policies and programs, as well as other state leave laws, and then companies that have unique employee populations and system capabilities and setups. So with all of that, and given the many moving pieces, let's level set things for our listeners and provide them with a paid sick leave law overview. So let's start with two things. Number one, what are paid sick leave laws? Let's make sure we understand that for folks. Number two, are there different types of paid sick leave laws around the country based on today's patchwork? And then number three, about how many paid sick leave laws exist in the U.S. today? So paid sick leave laws are mandatory leave laws where employers are required to allow employees to use leave for sick time reasons, including to take care of the employee's own health and the employee's covered family member's health needs. Increasingly, these laws have included safe time reasons, reasons due to an employee or a covered family member being a victim of domestic violence, domestic abuse, human trafficking, and other safety concerns. These definitions vary law by law, but most laws seem to have these safe time reasons now. These sick leave laws are similar to, but very, very distinct from paid family and or medical leave laws which tend to provide longer term leave for employees or covered family members who deal with serious health conditions and things like bonding with a child. So you might think of these laws as being very similar, but again, they're different. In terms of the different types of sick leave laws, there are also PTO laws, COVID paid leave laws, and public health emergency leave laws. So over the last 10 years, there's been these new types of laws that have popped up. PTO laws are laws where employees can use leave for any reason whatsoever, including vacation. COVID laws started popping up when COVID came around, and they provided leave for absences due to COVID. Many of these have gone away, but some of these COVID laws are still around. And what exactly the employee could use the COVID leave for varied, whether it was for the employee's own needs or for a covered family member's needs varied across the board. And then around the time of COVID, these public health emergency leave laws also started coming online. So although they were generally prompted by COVID, these laws are here to stay. And there are a few jurisdictions that have these laws. In terms of the number of laws that exist, there are 58 paid leave mandates that are currently in effect. There were 69 just in December of 2020, so the landscape has changed that much just in the last few years, and it's always changing. So when we talk about this in the next decade, I wonder how many laws there are going to be. <laughs> I, me, me as well, me as well. 
I mean, so many good points, Marlon, and thank you for that overview. A couple of the key points that I heard, the 58 total laws, that is still a gargantuan number. And it shows how the numbers of laws continue to ebb and flow. Like you said, so many of these laws, especially in the COVID space, have sunset or or all, you know whether that's that's because of the laws independently sunsetting or some other you know, state or local COVID legislation being passed that sunsets the laws. And that number for many years between 2020 and 2023 was was moving up and down and all around as these laws were coming out. So Marlon, looking back to October 2013, do you have a sense of how many state and local paid sick leave laws were in effect at that time? Yeah, so before 2014, there were five laws that were in effect. San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Seattle, Connecticut, and Long Beach, California. It's interesting that a few of these laws are still among the most unique and complex in the country, especially San Francisco and Seattle. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and, and the Long Beach law, if I'm thinking about it correctly, I believe is still limited to hotel employers, right? It doesn't apply more broadly. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And for, for, for folks who have gone down the, the paid sick leave rabbit hole, I love that point you just made. San Francisco and Seattle still, I mean, they were some of the trailblazer laws in the space and still, like you said, are two of the absolute most frustrating laws. And they've been amended since their early days, but still giving employers a, a lot of challenges given their nuances. So, so great point there. And just to remind folks, I know we spoke about this briefly a second ago, but how many state and localities did you say have paid sick leave laws today, 10 years later? Yeah, so now we're in the well in the double digits at 58 laws currently in effect, which again, amongst these 58 laws, we have two of these original laws that are so difficult to comply with 10 years later. Wow, wow. And do you have a sense in terms of those 58 about how many uh, state laws are are in that mix versus, you know, local laws? Any 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 sense of that? Yeah, so we have 19 states and Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and then there are about 25 municipalities that have laws. Oh, my goodness. It's, I mean, yeah, that, that, is, that, is a, that is a patchwork if I've ever heard of one. Uh, and the numbers keep growing. That's what makes it so much fun. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's maybe talk for a minute about how these paid sick leave laws have proliferated over the last 10 years. So let's let's put a little bit more meat on the bone for folks. So what are some of the geographical developments that stand out to you most? You know, we mentioned a minute ago that the the very first few laws were scattered. We had a couple in, you know, the north the northwest, right? San Francisco and Seattle. There was Connecticut and DC on the East Coast. And then that one sort of industry law, industry specific law in Long Beach. So how have the geographical developments taken place over the last 10 years within the paid sick leave law world? Yeah, so laws started popping up in two major states in 2014 in Massachusetts and then on the opposite end of the country in California. And those really got things rolling. And then we had major cities join in New York City. Philadelphia, and then again on the other side of the country in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And started seeing things move outside of the West Coast and Northeast and Mid-Atlantic 
into the Midwest. Uh, we saw laws in Chicago and Cook County, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and in Michigan. And then we moved to the Southwest and saw a law pop up in Arizona. Then states started adding laws where local laws already existed. So New Jersey got up to 13 local laws at one point. I remember those days. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was definitely an interesting time with all those laws. So then Washington and Maryland came online before COVID. Then during COVID, we still saw activity for non-COVID general paid sick leave laws. We had New York and New Mexico come online. And most recently, uh, we had laws that are soon going into effect in Illinois and in Minnesota. So many of those developments, I'm like, oh, I remember when Arizona came online. That was, you know, July, maybe five, six years ago. And thinking back to the, the chaos of, of the, that mandate going into effect, I think it might have been the same July that Chicago and Cook County started, if I'm remembering right. And that was, what a summer that was. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, there was so much happening then. Yeah. And now with Illinois and Minnesota, it seems like we're just going through the same thing again. Exactly. De de deja vu, just in different parts of the country. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so many of those points you made, Marlon, were great points. How we, we saw this trend of laws starting out on the coasts and then moving their way to other regions of the country. And also the trend that you pointed out, and that's really standing out to me, is the fact that in many of these jurisdictions, like you said, a, a local law or multiple local laws in like New Jersey or California paved the way for what would become this sweeping statewide paid sick leave mandate. San Francisco and, and Long Beach led to California's law. Seattle led to Washington state's law. Montgomery County and you know, led to the Maryland paid sick leave law. New York City led to New York, Minneapolis to Minnesota, East Orange and Patterson and Trenton and those other 10 local New Jersey local laws led to, to New Jersey state law is a lot. And as the country's landscape has evolved, I guess I'm curious, how have these subsequent state paid sick leave laws addressed the local laws that were around within their borders? Yeah, and this is an answer that you're going to hear throughout this podcast, as with pretty much anything in the paid sick leave world, the answer varies. And there is no one single approach that states have followed when addressing local paid sick leave laws. So some states like New Jersey preempted their existing local laws to the tune of 13 local laws being swept away when the state law began in late 2018. Then other states like Maryland grandfathered in the existing laws, but preempted localities from passing new local mandates after the state law went into effect. Meanwhile, other laws like California, Washington, New York, and Minnesota left existing laws in place, allowing intrastate paid sick leave patchworks to expand. What's interesting, too, is that some local jurisdictions like Westchester County, for example, in New York, decided to sunset its own paid sick leave law when the New York state law went into effect, but it kept its separate paid safe leave ordinance. So we saw both states and local jurisdictions acting differently in this regard. Oh, man. I'm going to uh, take a moment of silence for uh, an RIP to the Prince George's County, Maryland paid sick leave law that didn't make it across the finish line when the state law uh, went into effect. 
It was so close. <laughs> <laughs> it was close. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Um, Marlon, all, all wonderful, wonderful insights. Let, let me ask you this. We've been focusing on state and local levels for the last few minutes, and, and rightly so, given what we've discussed so far. But I'm hoping we can pivot for just a minute to the federal level. Flying somewhat under the radar, for several years, there has been a federal paid sick leave mandate in place impacting certain federal contractors and subcontractors. Can you tell us a little bit about this Obama-era executive order, uh, which was number 13706? Yeah, that seems to be the law that everyone forgets about, but it applies to certain federal contractors and subcontractors for certain contracts entered into on or after January 1st, 2017. So it has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, it applies only to certain federal contractors and subcontractors. And it only applies to work being done on or in connection with a contract. There is no cap on use. So that's an important thing to keep in mind about this law. Although the accrual rate is one hour for every 30 hours worked, just like we see in most typical paid sick leave laws, it has both a 56-hour annual and a 56-hour rolling accrual cap with no cap on use. It covers various absences and family members. So in terms of absences, it provides leave to employees in connection with an employee's own medical and healthcare needs, as well as that of an employee's covered family member. It also provides safe leave for domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking of the employee or the employee's covered family member. And the employee can use leave in connection with those safe time reasons in terms of family members, it covers an employee's child, parent, spouse, domestic partner, or any other individual related by blood or affinity to the employee whose close association with the employee is the equivalent of a family relationship. So it is very broad in that regard. Oh, man. Executive Order 13706 really is a doozy. Uh, and shout out to our good pal, Ryan Schneider, for his paid sick leave help over the years. And for the word doozy, I think he'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, it really is such a complicated and important law. I think it's especially important for federal contractors and subcontractors to keep in mind, firstly, and as you said, that not all types of contracts and subcontracts are going to be covered. Only certain types of contracts are. And focusing on the actual contract language when determining whether the contract is going to be subject to Executive Order 13706 is, is sort of an important takeaway. And unlike state and local paid sick leave laws, if a federal contractor or subcontractor is covered by this executive order, it can jump across state and city and, and local borders. It can impose paid sick leave obligations on companies anywhere in the country if they have a covered contract or subcontract, which makes understanding which laws apply when you are a covered employer in this space that much more complicated. You mentioned Executive Order 13706 and its reasons for use and covered family members. Both lists went beyond what many companies that aren't necessarily familiar with paid sick leave laws might assume are covered by these mandates. For instance, they cover more than just the employee's own serious health condition. They cover run-of-the-mill illnesses and injuries. They cover more than just family member illnesses and injuries. And in terms of who is a family member, they cover more than just parent, child, spouse. Can you share with our listeners some thoughts on the scope and the breadth of paid sick leave laws and their covered reasons and covered family members? Absolutely. 
So one reason that's pretty common across the board is safe time absences. And those include absences due to either the employee or a covered family member needing leave in connection with employee or the covered family member being a victim of domestic abuse, domestic violence, human trafficking, and other related safe time needs. There are leaves for public health emergency closures. And again, the definition varies law by law, but generally what these cover are if the employee's own place of business or the employee's child's school is closed due to a public health emergency. Preventative care is one thing that's covered that I think a lot of people forget, even if the employee or the covered family member is not sick but needs a checkup or other preventative care that would be covered under a lot of these laws. That's a great point. That's Yeah, the preventative care one is something that I think intuitively doesn't jump out at folks, but but really, really important because it is covered by, like you said, almost all of these laws. Yeah, and then all these laws have all different kinds of reasons. So actually, just on October 1st in Connecticut, we have a new reason that went into effect, and that's a mental health wellness day. There are other jurisdictions that have other kinds of things. So Massachusetts, for example, allows time to travel to or from the pharmacy or an appointment. Yet other laws cover things like bereavement leave, bonding with the child, school appointments, and even closures due to bad weather or loss of power. I know this is not a reason in New York City, but with the flooding we recently had, it seems like New York City might be thinking about that reason soon. They're always tinkering with their law, so it wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) Um, And then in terms of family members, that also varies law by law. So in addition to covering just a parent, a child, and a spouse, these laws cover people like somebody who an employee has a dating relationship with, or the sibling of an employee, or even the child of a sibling in some of these laws. And something that we've seen increasingly is these sort of catch-all family members that include any individual related by blood to the employee and any other individual whose close association with the employee is the equivalent of a family relationship. Although not every single law is that broad, a lot of the laws have these covered family members. And then in California, there is a designated person that the employee can choose to be a covered family member as well. So it really varies across the board, but generally a lot of laws have pretty broad coverage for both reasons for use as well as family members. And then another huge thing is that some laws literally allow the employee to use leave for any reason whatsoever. Right. It puts puts all the, the nuance and all the minute details of what reasons are covered, what family members are covered, and all the different relationships, just pushes it aside and says, hey, any reason. And that's a huge wrinkle, right, in the paid sick leave world. And that occurred back in 2019 when Maine passed the country's first paid any reason leave law or earned paid leave law. They have some different names. Can you, Marlon, I know you mentioned these laws a little bit earlier on, but can you tell us a bit about what these paid any reason leave laws are where they're located, and what impact they've had on the paid sick leave landscape? Yeah, so they're similar to paid sick leave laws. And I believe that the main law in the beginning was supposed to be a sick leave law and then became a PTO law. So they're similar in that regard, but they have no limit on the reason that the employee can use leave. 
And with that also comes some differences in terms of documentation. Employers can't really require documentation if the employee is using the leave for vacation, for example, or other reasons not related to sick leave. And in terms of jurisdictions, in addition to Maine that you mentioned, Nevada has a PTO law. Bernalillo County in New Mexico has a PTO law, and it only applies in the unincorporated parts of the county. And then just most recently, Illinois passed a PTO law, and that will go into effect on January 1st, 2024. And another law that falls into this category is the West Hollywood, California law. And that one's written very differently than these laws and provides for different types of leave. But I would say that that's one of the PTO laws as well. Yep, yep. I, I would agree there. And my, my goodness is the West Hollywood mandate complicated. So uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, uh, glad you mentioned it and, uh, and don't want to mention it again. <laughs> Let's leave it there. <laughs> So yes, very complicated, and we'll move on from that. And let me tell you why these laws have such a huge impact on the paid sick leave landscape. I mean, employees can use the leave for any reason whatsoever, including for vacation, which means that in certain instances, employees can take vacation with very little notice to the employer, and you can't require any documentation as an employer. And then on top of that, there's an interplay with these PTO laws and vacation laws, especially in jurisdictions where you have to pay out vacation upon termination. So Maine, for example, is so complicated. And the answer on whether you have to pay out the leave just depends on how employers have set up their policies. Absolutely, Marlon. Great points. And it leads us really nicely to my next question, which is, involving use of non-sick paid time off policies like PTO or vacation or personal time or floating holidays and so forth for paid sick leave law compliance. Broadly speaking, can employers use PTO policies for paid sick leave law compliance? And what are some of the considerations and challenges that companies need to be aware of when they're thinking about or, or going forward and using these type of policies to comply with applicable state and local sick laws based on your, your experience? Yeah, so employers can use PTO policies for compliance, but it's very complicated. I mean, some reasons why an employer might want to use a PTO to comply is because it might be easier to just have one bucket of leave instead of providing separate vacation leave, separate personal leave, separate sick leave. Some employers think, well, let me just give you PTO employee and you can use that for any reason that you want, including the sick leave reasons. And some employers think that if they provide it in one bucket, they don't have to track the time and that it will be just easier to administer. But unfortunately, it's not that easy. There are many legal and practical challenges with using this kind of setup for compliance. So as we know, and we've been talking for the last several uh, minutes, there are so many different state and local paid sick leave laws governing the provisions of paid sick leave. These are very unique and have very different requirements, including increments of use, conditions for use, and various limits on employers that have to be addressed to maximize compliance. And new laws, as we saw, are constantly being proposed and passed. So if a company is using a PTO policy to comply with paid sick leave obligations, they're going to have to revise their policy very frequently to comply with these laws. There are also a myriad of state laws governing vacation and paid time off. 
And these have different requirements for employers that place restrictions on what employers can and cannot do with PTO if they offer it. So there is a second set of laws that employers also have to comply with. And that makes it that employers are complying with two very complicated set of laws. And to go back to just sick leave compliance alone, in order to comply with the sick leave laws, in addition to providing employees with the correct amount of leave, employers have to also provide PTO in the same manner as required by the paid sick leave laws. And that can be very complicated because you have to allow employees to use leave with minimal notice of prior to an absence. There's restrictions in terms of when and what kind of documentation you can request. Manager approval is prohibited, and there are a number of other restrictions as well. And this could be especially complicated in paid sick leave law jurisdictions that don't have any cap on annual usage as well, and that also have kin care laws. One of the big reasons that employers choose to provide PTO time in one bucket is to avoid having to track sick leave separately from other uses of PTO. But dependent on a lot of factors, there are times where a company may still want to or have to track their obligations depending on what jurisdictions they trigger. Yeah, the great points, Marlon. I think clearly there are complexities when dealing with PTO for sick leave law compliance. You know, and we didn't even get into some of the the messiness, which are things like balance tracking and notification to workers of their available balances and other balance details, or record keeping, or considerations when companies have uh, unlimited PTO policies in place, for example, or that there are some paid sick leave laws that impose particular disadvantages when a company opts to use PTO or personal time for compliance. So, so many wrinkles, so many moving pieces, and using PTO, while it is something that companies go for and will opt to do, whether for all of their workers or some portion of their workforce, it has to be taken step by step and, and organized in a very clear and, and precise way. Yeah, and come to think of it, I think for employers in Santa Monica that they can't even use PTO for compliance. Yeah, right, right. Exactly, exactly. So needing to know what laws apply, what their standards are for using PTO for compliance, and then being very careful attention to how the system and the policies are set up are all part of the package here. Putting aside PTO for sick leave law compliance for a few minutes, what are a couple of the other big paid sick leave law pressure points for multi-state and nationwide employers that you deal with? Yeah, so for companies that have union employees, there's more complications there because, again, as with everything, paid sick leave jurisdictions handle things differently. So there are certain laws that um, exclude union employees or certain union employees from eligibility. There are yet other laws that offer an exemption if the paid sick leave law is expressly waived in the CBA. Other laws allow the exemption if the employer provides comparable benefits. And there are different layers to some of these exemptions. So in California, for example, in order for there to be an exemption of employees who are covered by a valid CBA, 
the CBA has to expressly provide for wages and hours of work and working conditions of employees. And on top of that, it has to provide paid sick days or paid leave that the employees can use. The CBA has to include final and binding arbitration of disputes concerning the application of its paid sick days provisions. The CBA has to provide for premium wage rates for all overtime hours worked and a regular hourly rate of pay not less than 30% more than the state minimum wage rate. So the exemption goes well beyond just sick leave requirements into other requirements that the CBA has to meet as well. Oregon, just like California, also has a multi-leveled approach to providing an exemption. And not only does it require that the CBA provide employees with leave that's equivalent to or more generous than the minimum requirements of the Oregon law, but it requires things like having employees who are hired through a hiring hole or a similar referral system and who have terms and conditions of employment that are covered by a multi-employer collective bargaining agreement, in addition to having benefits that are provided by a joint multi-employer employee trust or benefit plan and other requirements as well. Then there's jurisdictions that have no exemptions at all. So for example, Massachusetts, Maryland, Los Angeles, and San Diego, there's no exemption for union employees. Wow. Wow. That Yeah, the, the, the CBA complication uh, is one that I think highlights a lot of important points. One, you made it earlier, so many variations in the paid sick leave space. This, how these laws treat unionized workers is just one area of inconsistency that companies have to deal with when they operate in multiple states. But two, it also shows how sick leave touches on a different area of law, right? It touches on, on labor law and labor considerations and bargaining. Uh, so that that is a common theme in the paid sick leave compliance world is the fact that it had, these laws have a lot of tentacles and can touch a lot of other disciplines within the labor and employment realm. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that makes this area of the law so interesting that there are so many other considerations. In addition to labor law, there's employee benefits issues as well as wage and hour issues. And one of the other complications that we deal with are rate of pay issues. These issues and variations are especially present with hourly employees, commissioned workers, and salaried non-exempt employees. Needless to say, not every jurisdiction follows a base hourly wage standard, and some can require employers to pay above hourly employees' standard hourly rate, depending on other types of pay they receive. So absolutely, Marlon. The wage and hour space and rate of pay issues and their overlap with sick leave laws, just like with the labor law overlap with paid sick leave laws, is hugely impactful and important. It's something that companies need to pay very careful attention to and make sure they, they move through it with sort of a step-by-step -step process, as we've spoken about uh, in the labor space. So wage and hour, just like you said, a key area of, of importance for employers. Yes, and a very complicated one. And speaking of complicated topics, another complicated area is dealing with mobile and remote employees. There was an increase in mobile and remote employees during COVID with people working from home, but now it seems to have become a permanent or semi-permanent part of the workforce, having remote employees everywhere. 
And one important thing for employers to keep in mind is that a lot of this paid sick leave laws apply to employers, even if the employers have very low headcounts in a jurisdiction, even if the employer has no physical work site there. So a lot of the times it just takes one employee to trigger coverage. So that's another thing that employers should be careful with. Absolutely. Absolutely. All significant topics. And there are many others. But let's let's finish off today's discussion with a few minutes on paid sick leave law enforcement. What kind of activity are you seeing by state and local agencies in terms of audits or investigations or with respect to private lawsuits involving sick leave claims? And what are some of the potential penalties and damages that employers can face if they're found to have violated a paid sick leave law? Yeah, great question. There are definitely some very aggressive agencies out there. New York City, Seattle, Massachusetts, Los Angeles, and the San Diego agencies all come to mind. In California, it's very common for paid sick leave claims to be added onto wage and hour claims as part of class action lawsuits. So there's rate of pay and balance notification issues that are very common in that space. And in terms of penalties, there are all kinds of different penalties depending on the jurisdiction. There are administrative fines and penalties plus restitution. Sometimes it could be measured on a per employee basis, sometimes on a per day basis, per week or per year. Needless to say, these fines and penalties can rack up pretty quickly. Double and treble damages are also fairly common on top of attorney's fees. Plus, some agencies will broadcast noncompliance publicly, like in Seattle. The New York City DCWP is also known to publish press releases whenever it reaches settlements for these enforcement audits. Wow, wow. Marlon, a great overview and a great look back at paid sick leave law developments, challenges for human resources teams, benefits teams, legal, labor relations, payroll departments, you name it all in multi-state nationwide employers that have to navigate this paid sick leave space. Thank you for sharing your insights, your wisdom, experiences, and kicking off SciFart's 10-year If Pain, Yes Gain anniversary with me. Of course, my pleasure. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Marlon. And for our listeners, please do stay tuned for additional important paid sick leave law resources coming your way later this month and next month, including top 10 articles based on legal developments and practical challenges, our webinar and in-person presentations. Hope you enjoy. And thank you again for tuning in to today's episode. We will see you next time.